proud sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Welcome back. It's lovely to have your company as we talk Pet Chat. And welcome to the studio, Cheryl Shaw and Dr Paul McCarthy. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. What are we chatting about today? What's our big topic of the day? Oh, Sarah, today you're going to love it. All about dogs' noses. (gasps) Oh, that is my weird fetish. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) I do love a cold, wet dog nose. Mm, something wrong there, I think. Uh, and we're looking at diseases of the nose later on. Yeah, we'll on, follow that on with some diseases that are commonly occur in the nose. Uh, but Cheryl, we're having a look at noses and dogs' noses in particular. That's right. And, you know, you did say about, you know, whether the nose is cold and wet or whether it's dry and um, moist or no, dry and hot. And people often say, well, yeah, if the dog has got a wet nose, it's healthy. But this isn't always a very good indicator of health. And in fact, you've got to remember that dogs' temperature can fluctuate greatly, even from hour to hour, depending on what they're doing. So if a dog is exercising and it's, you know, running around, these factors are activity are going to increase the dog's temperature but if a dog is sedentary and it's laying and sleeping well again we're going to have a nose when the the dog first wakes up that's actually dry so the nose of a dog that um, has just woken up will take about 10 minutes to get any moisture on it so if you're looking at the dog going oh gee the dog's nose looks dry maybe the dog's not well it could be that the dog has just woken up and it hasn't yet got the moisture on the nose. So within that 10 minutes, usually what happens when the dog wakes up, it licks its nose and puts moisture back onto the nose itself. So the nasal tissue gets wet. That part, Sarah, that you said that you love. Yeah, I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... The skin on the dog's nose doesn't really have any moisture-producing glands, so that moisture that um, that we see on the dog's nose actually comes from glands at the back of the nasal passage, and they come down the nostrils, and that moisture is actually mucus, although we don't like to think of it as mucus. (laughs) (laughs) And these secretions come down in a very narrow duct, and they come out into the the palate of the dog. And so what happens, as the dog licks its nose, it brings this down, and then it, the secretion goes over the nose. Sarah, you're pulling such awful Oh, faces. it's just ruined it for me because I've loved a little cold, <laughs> moist dog nose my whole life. I've been, like, it's weird, I know, but I always have to touch it with my finger and now thinking that it's mucus, it's mm. really ruined it, it's not. There's no bacteria there that are going to affect you. You're yeah. all safe. Oh, that's cool. I mean, yeah. a, a runny nose is different. Correct. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't like yeah. that. No. I just, you know what I'm talking about, the little cold... Yeah, yeah. But moist nose. Moisture that's there, it actually helps the dog to decipher what is going on because that gives the dog the, cl- the clues to what's happening in its environment. So whether it's environmental, um, chemical, um, just what those smells are all about because the dog actually licks its tongue to taste the smell. Oh, okay. So it's licking the tongue, taking in the taste as well as... Licking the, the nose. nose. The nose. The yep. tongue is licking, licking the, the nose. nose. Sorry. The yep. tongue is licking the nose and helping to the dog to take in what's going on around it. So it's really important that the dog does have moisture on the nose, but some things will prevent that moisture being there. Now, things like the sun. Obviously, when we've got sunshine and a dog, and dogs love laying outside in the sun. It's one thing that some dogs really like to do. The sun will dry the nose out, and so that is going to create another problem. So the dog can't smell as well if there's no moisture there, but drying of the nose can also lead to skin cancer. And this is something that is really prevalent in some dog breeds, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, so... Particularly in our um, 
part of the world, so we have a high UV index, and pale pigmentation can be a precursor to developing cancers on the nose, yeah. um, and even what's called solar dermatitis, where this, the actual UV light damages the epithelial lining, and you can, you can get crusting and infection related to that infection. Yeah, but you, there's um, products available, just like with human um, sunscreen, you can use for dogs, but you have to make sure they're the right... Yeah, so you can't use human suntan cream on dogs. Um, the, the formulations are very different, and now our skin's absorbance versus a dog and cat skin absorbance is very different. But there are uh, formulations made specifically for your pet. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing with the weather, that can dry out the nose. So if the dog's, you know, outside and it's windy or it's drying out the nose. But um, dehydration, so when a dog is laying outside, it's getting really hot and it is dehydrating, or if it's in an area that it can't get access to water, this can help, um, th this, this will make sure that the dog doesn't have those secretions. The watery secretions won't be there because the dog's becoming dehydrated. So the dogs do actually, um, through their nose and through their paws, lose um, moisture because that's how they, they sort of try to cool their body down so again if the dog's really hot it's not going to have a wet nose so you need to make sure particularly as the weather warms up that you're making your dog have lots of you know available water uh, fires and heaters are another thing that can create problems not just with drying the nose but with that cracking of the nose as well and creating that dry cracking nose and some dogs the cracks get so bad that they bleed so it's mm. a time that you really need to get off to see the vet uh, Paul do you see many dogs with with nose problems yeah so we, we we see them commonly, actually, um, and, and fortunately, most of the diseases we see are benign. So these are not diseases that are, are going to cause malignancies. Um, nasal tumours are a, a, a thing we do see, particularly in pale pigmented dogs, um, and and really in white cats. So anyone out there with a white cat, I would strongly recommend if you can make that cat an indoor cat. You're reducing your risk of skin cancer on that nose quite substantially. Um, and there are lots of procedures that can now help those skin cancers, but they are invasive procedures. So preventing access to UV light in pale pigmented animals is a really good thing. Mm. Yeah, and another thing too is allergies or irritants. They can um, have an impact on the dog's um, nasal secretions as well. And so then they get the dry nose. And a lot of people don't understand that it's not just the food. It's also, you know, things like your pollens and, and your different grasses can cause these irritants. But also plastic bowls. And a lot of people will put their dog's food into plastic bowls. And some of those plastic bowls give off chemicals that actually can cause allergies in some dogs. So, again, it's making sure that the bowls you're using are either stainless steel or one of the ones that has, you know, the chemical-free plastics in them. And it's not something that a lot of people even think about. They just put their dog's bowl down and don't think about, oh, you know, that plastic bowl may not actually be food safe for the dog. Yeah, it's interesting. So if we've got a dog and it does have a dry, cracked nose and it's, mm -hmm. you know, lasted a few days, it's not just when it's woken up and, you know, you haven't noticed it, it's been near the heater or outside, can that indicate that there is something else going yeah, on? Yeah, and like that's one of the indications that you're veterinarian about those. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, often early intervention, particularly for nasal disease, can mean a much better prognosis. So um, if you've got diseases where particularly you've got a, maybe a foreign body or an infiltrated disease, um, those sorts of things, the longer they're there irritating the nasal passages, the more likelihood you have that develop not just from a nasal disease, but you then get the bone of, of the turbinates or the bone of the skull affected and you get osteomyelitis and even further invasive disorders. So okay. certainly early intervention with any nasal disease is good. Things to be looking for obviously are nasal discharges um, and it helps the vet also to, in your history if you can even tell the vet whether it's a, a what we call a unilateral discharge so the left or the right 
or whether it's a bilateral discharge, meaning there's a discharge from both sides of the nose. Okay. So, for example, if you've got a foreign body, it's very unlikely you've inhaled a grass seed into both nostrils, but um, it helps us to know whether we, where you've noticed a discharge coming. Because often when a dog comes to the vet, that nervous nature can mean the discharge will not be present. Mm. Um, they'll, they'll be cleaning their nose even regularly. Even get it on your camera Yeah, you really great idea. Yeah, so yeah. getting And, and um, even so, it helps us to know what consistency the discharge is. So watery, which is suggested more allergic rhinitis versus mucus or purulent, which would would suggest that there is infection oh, and or okay. tumour. Yeah, yeah, right. And there's some breeds of dogs that have really runny noses, things like German Shepherds and um, sometimes your rough collies. They'll drip like a tap when they get a bit stressed. So, yeah, anxiety yeah. can play yeah, a role so in the Yeah, so anxiety can be there as well. Mm. Here's a funny one. Now, I've noticed over the years that um, Gizmo's nose changes colour yes. sometimes. It can be quite a dark brown black, but then other times it can almost be grey. And when it's grey, I've noticed he's got like a little black freckle on the yeah, nose. Yeah, so pigmentation changes occur even seasonally. So it can be age-related, so the nose will change colour based on the melanin content over time, but also even over the season. So um, lots of dogs actually, interestingly, in the summer will have their noses go paler mm. um, and they darken over the winter as well. Yes. Um, and that's very normal. That's so, okay. so um, But there are diseases where a loss of pigmentation is an indicator of, of, a, of a, a, you know, often a cancer in these circumstances. So okay. keeping an eye on the colour is a really good idea, Sarah. All right. And there's stuff. another thing too, Sarah, that's interesting. The nose of the dog, the skin on it, is just like our fingerprint. It's unique to each dog. So that's one right. day we might not have microchipping. We might be able to scan the nose <laughs> and the little dog will have, oh, that's so-and-so. Yes. How clever yeah. would that be? And another interesting thing while talking about licking noses, do you know that a dog can only lick upward? It can't towards its nose it cannot lick down towards its mandible I did not know that mm. but now that you say it I've never <sighs> seen Gizzy lick downward it's always mm. yeah and and part of that complex is that the way a dog drinks is the top of the nose the top of the tongue flips backwards when they are licking so it acts almost like a scoop yes. and scoops the water in <sighs> yeah mm. So, so I think much. we'd dispel that myth about, you know, <laughs> wet nose, healthy, you know, dry nose, not healthy. You need to check those noses. And if you see anything, you're not, you know, sort of really confident about, off to the vet. And I believe we've got Alan from Vasey on the line. Your dog has some strange eating habits? Uh, yes, it does. Um, it actually, it, um, it buries its food all the time. Uh, only its treats. It'll take one little pebble of kibble and take it outside and bury it with it and cover it over with its nose and that. Now, it is a dingo, and I'm wondering if it is um, because I'm overfeeding it or is it putting it away for the lean times? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's probably behaviourally. So what, what's happening is the dog is realising this is a, tr a treasured resource um, and treasured resources are saved. So um, what's happening is that that treat probably has very little value in being repeated. Um, so the dog's actually going to save this every time. So it's less about the fact that there's not enough food or too much food. It's the fact that this food is really special and he doesn't want anyone to access the food but him. Does, right. he, does he ever dig these treats back up again? Uh, no. No. So I, I would suggest your, your, your best idea would be that I would stop the treats or look for a treat that has less high value so it's chewed immediately, not seen as a treated resource and saved. Right. 
Okay, right. Well, thank you very much. That's okay. And, and, and look, that for dingoes in particular, dingoes are, have, have different habits to other breeds of dogs. Um, I've noticed that. Yeah, and so there is some really good information about there about keeping dingoes on the internet. So have a look about that because some of the rules we have for our normal domestic species don't always apply for the dingo. Right, okay, I shall check that out. Terrific. Thanks for your call, Alan. I feel sorry for the dingo. That's no different to when someone gives me Daryl Lee and I might, you know, <laughs> hide it in the top drawer away from the kids in the bedroom or something. Except that you probably remember it's there and you'll go back and eat the Daryl Lee. Oh, I don't forget. No, <laughs> it does get eaten, that is very true. We're going to go to Dot from Burrigal. Is this Aunt Dot? It is your aunt, Dot, darling. <gasps> oh, how are you, Dot? We've missed you here. Dot used to work at 2NURFM and we miss her. How are you going? Oh, good, good, yeah. Good time. It drives me crazy, but I'm getting there. <laughs> now, Dot, we'll just get you to turn down your radio in the background. Now, Dot is a dog lover. I can tell you that, Dr Paul. Oh, good. And uh, you do have a problem with one of your dogs. Well, Labrador's 16. She's never been a minute's trouble. And the retriever's 13. She's never been a minute's trouble. And I was at Bingo and an old girl was in tears saying, that's it, I'm having it put down. And, of course, I put my hand up and said, no, no, I'll have it. She has shredded pillows. She's chewed the end of the mattress. She, we, we started putting her on a chain down the yard, but I hate doing that when we go out. So I've taken the chances the last couple of things. Is there, can we give her a drug or something to slow her down? Sure. So I, I guess the first question, Dot, is she acting out of anxiety or is she acting out of playfulness? Probably playfulness. She's fairly young. She's part Ridgeback, part few things. Okay. So as soon as you say part Ridgeback, we're probably talking about anxiety less than playful. They, they do have an increased okay. propensity for um, nervous natures. Um, yeah. So is the destructive behaviour only happening when you're away? Yeah. 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 So this is separation anxiety rather than playfulness. So there are there are medications and there is training you can use for separation anxiety. Um, have a chat to your local veterinarian about some drugs you can use. We often use antidepressants for these guys to try and help them have an increased level of serotonin in their brain, and that makes them feel calmer. Um, and so if you're feeling calmer and you have um, an event that makes you fearful, if you're already approaching that event from a less worried perspective, the actual event seems less scary, so the behaviour may not be elicited. So ha having some antidepressants on board can often help these guys to learn some independence and resilience for those <laughs> fearful times when you're absent. There are also medications you can use that aren't pharmaceutical medications um, that can be used as calming agents. So um, people often use things like Rescue Remedy. There's a new one called Zilkeen. Um, and these are, these are medications that, that don't require a prescription. They, they are over-the-counter medications. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I'll get some of those and get them try. Actually, I thought of popping a, a sleeping pill out of once. <laughs> I was so frustrated. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Certainly self-medicating from your own medication resources. Probably not the best <laughs> idea, but... But, but certainly have a, have a chat to your veterinarian. There, there are fortunately now a lot of things you can do for anxiety and separation anxiety. And there's also lots of behavioural training you could get involved with as well. So talking to a trainer, um, having them even come up to your house, they can often show you some things you can do to make her feel less anxious while you're absent. Yeah. All right, yeah. Dot. Well, the best of luck. And it's lovely to hear you are on air again and at 2NUR again. Oh, 
I'm never far away from you, darling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking pet chat and we're taking your calls, 49216216. The first time I, I ever met Dot, she had rescued a bird in the back of a car. She had it in a little cage and oh. she was about to take it to Wise or somewhere. Yeah, terrific. <laughs> it's really lovely. Uh, now, we've been looking at dogs and their noses and we're looking at diseases of the nose now. Mm, yeah. So, actually, I will go back just a second. You talk about birds in boxes. Yes. So, you'll notice this time of year now there'll be heaps of, of nests, nests around Ooh, and lots yes. of babies falling out of nests. So one of the things to best do if you do find one of these birds falling out of a nest is to try and make a fake nest out of a bucket um, and leave the bucket near the nest. So we see oh. a lot of birds brought in when often these birds will actually be looked after by their parents where they are. So, so I know everyone's been very helpful in trying to bring these birds in, but it's often helpful to actually leave the bird where it is. Just make it. Often you can even hang the bucket from a branch of a tree, and the parents will feed the bird from and that spot. And put some foliage and things yeah, in the bucket. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a um, great Often idea. using gloves when you first pick up the bird as well makes the bird not smell of you. Some some species of birds will not handle a, a, a chick once they've been handled by a person. So often, if you don't have that smell on you, that can help that bird be raised again. Um, Obviously, if the mothers and parents don't turn up for that bird, then having them brought into a veterinarian so that they can then be transferred to a rescue centre if they're well um, is always the next step. But don't feel that the fallen bird has to come into the vet each time. Okay. Often these birds will be well looked after by their parents in their own location. That is really good advice. I had no idea. That's really interesting. Yeah, Paul. yeah. And actually, I'll, I'll provide the radio station. There's actually a, 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 a post I have in my, in my room about what you can do to make that nest available space um, quite um, appealing for the birds that you find. Because the plovers, they're a bit vicious at the moment with yeah, their ones. Uh, yeah. Gizzy came out with us today and got swooped by the plover. It yeah. was um, not happy at all. No, and look, and evolution-wise, the, the poor old plover... Um, lays its eggs in a really open space and then sort of stands away from the nest so that the predators don't know the nest is there. So if you do see a plover in an area, look down when you are walking away from that plover because it may be that you're approaching the nest and you won't notice it. Ah. These are just eggs that are the same colour as the ground, on the ground with, with no sort of nesting material around it. Now, this may be the silliest question I've ever asked. but it's an <laughs> There argument, are no silly questions. Well, there's, there's an argument that's been happening between Sean and I for years. I was told... So plovers have spurs... The males do. I'm not sure. Oh, Are they don't, poisonous? Don't hold me on that. No, the spurs aren't Damn. poisonous. Damn. <laughs> I've been saying for years they are poisonous, Sean. Um, well, again, I'm not a plover expert, but um, the only poison spur animal I know in our local region is the platypus. So the male has a poisonous spur um, in the platypus. I, I'm, I'm not aware that the plover's spur is poisonous. <sighs> Shouldn't have asked. He's got one up on me now. <laughs> well, I have to go home and Google it now. but. <laughs> Yes. I, I, I don't believe it's a poison spur. So much cooler if it is a poison spur. <laughs> We've got Lorraine now from Madawa. You've got a question about your poodle, Lorraine. Yeah, so I've got a toy poodle, uh, female. Um, I've, she's 11, but I've had her only for seven seven years. So she was four when I got her. Um, I think she was a bit ill-treated Ill before, but I've done everything in my power to, you know, get her out of the habit box. She just wets inside or, you know, does her business in, inside and um, and my floors don't like it. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah, my funny laminated floors. Uh, um, and then when you give her food or, and um, and you'll just, you know, step back and that, she'll go to eat or drink her water, she, she'll growl, you 
you know, and she'll really smile. Yeah. As you go near her bed, she'll okay. really smile. And, you know, I just feel, you know, what I've done everything I can for her, or, you know. Sure. So, so you know, but... There's a couple of things yeah. here, Lorraine. The first is that if this is a situation that's been happening for quite some time, yeah. with, with regards to the food and water, just give her a room or a space where she can have her food and don't, yeah. approach, and yeah. don't, don't approach her. In the, yeah. what, what will happen each time is that each time that you approach her and she growls and you back away, that behaviour has yeah. been reinforced. So the yeah. behaviour then becomes what I need to do to protect my food or myself yeah. from what's coming. But- I don't know why she's never been. She's never. I've never had another dog with or a cat with her that she has to protect. It. Yeah. So, so it, it may it may be that behaviourally she was born with a defect. So so some behaviours yeah. are inheritable. So it may be yeah. that this has come from the sire or the dam that also had a behavioural disorder. Um, and disappointingly, even very subtle movements from you around a food time has stimulated this behaviour to be elicited. So your yeah. safest thing really is to give her a spot where she feels safe to eat and that way that no one approaches her and they don't have yeah. the risk of her growling. But also it makes her feel safer. So if she can yeah. be in that room, she eats her food, she's happy, she finishes her meal, she comes back out, life is good. I think trying to retrain that at this age may be yeah, a difficult like, thing for you to do. I, but I, with I the toileting inside, I think the toileting yeah. inside is something that I would try and work on. So first oh. of all, make sure that the urine is tested to see that she's not going in, in, inside because she's got an underlying bladder infection or a cystitis. No, no. And if I that's think it was cl- the way she was brought, brought up. Yeah, so, and, and that, and that you can work on. So take her outside when you need her to urinate and wait with her till she urinates. When she has urinated, praise her so she gets a positive reinforcement associated with that behaviour. And this happens every time she goes. So we don't sort of let her out to wait and we watch for her to come back inside. We go out with her, we encourage her to urinate and defecate and every time she does it, we reward it. When she does it inside, we say nothing we don't give her a negative, we don't give her a no or an off or a don't, we ignore that behaviour. So what actually happens is she gets attention for being good, not attention for being bad, which is often what we mistakenly do with dogs, is that even though we think that we're we're reprimanding them, what we're actually doing is providing reinforced behaviour. So only praise her for getting it right, ignore her when she gets it wrong. Got Ron on the line from Caves Beach. Uh, Ron, you've got a question about kookaburras for Dr. Paul. Yeah, I have. Yep. Fire so, away. You ask me the question. Do you want me to answer? F- sorry? Oh, yeah, what's your question? Yeah, fire away. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I got these kookaburras and I sort of trained them over a period of time and they got very friendly and they uh, actually uh, landed on my hand. Uh, I got it that far and they fed out of my hand, which was great. But then I, I, I got so many come around, I didn't know when they come to eat, I didn't know which ones I fed and which ones I hadn't fed. So I did a very naughty thing, can I tell you? Yeah. Well, what I did, I had a few pots of different colour paints. And when they're on my hand, I got a little bit on my finger and put it on their tummy. Okay. Right? And mm-hmm. so when they come around, I knew, and there's quite a few, I, I got to know which ones had had a feed and which ones hadn't. Sure. Have you got a better idea than that? <laughs> Uh, look, I'm going to have to be... Um, Pretty hard to uh, beat that. Yeah, so so two, two, two issues here for me. One is that I can really recommend that no one feeds the native wildlife. So the, the reason being is that should you not be there and yeah. you've got kookaburras who are always being fed by you, if they're fed so often by you, they will actually stop using their own hunting techniques and oh. they'll be expected to be fed by you. Oh, 
So if you then right. suddenly have a holiday for two weeks, you have all the kookaburras coming around expecting food and they don't have that. The other thing is that they'll also teach their young to come to you. And That's so you'll get so many, the reason why you've got so many is that you've actually trained a group of kookaburras to, to use you as their primary food resource oh. um, and not so good. The second well, thing I've is that they're, what, you're feeding them, I assume, dog food. Yeah. Yeah. So no, 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 no. Good meat. Yeah. So remembering oh, that that's not what they would be eating in the wild. Yeah. So so when we feed them mince, a kookaburra can never catch a cow. So um, we're we're feeding them things that we wouldn't normally be doing, and it'll change their microbiome, which is what your bacterial flora is in your intestinal tract. Which may mean when they're then going back to trying to eat their native things, you can bring on diarrhea and different things oh. from changing diet. So, so you, um, I, I know you you've done a really on. lovely thing, and you're enjoying their company. But maybe just enjoy the look of them rather than feed them. Well, I got I got good news for you. I I, I lost a lot of my eyesight and. Uh, I stopped feeding them, so it's a good thing I did. Yeah, it's a good thing. I, I certainly recommend everyone enjoy the native wildlife they are. It is all beautiful, but when we start to feed them or yeah. even domesticate them, we are playing a pivotal role. The other thing about marking birds is that remembering that they are feathered a particular way to help them, A, be camouflaged from their predators right. and also be attractive to their mates. If we ah. start changing how they appear, it may make them more likely to be prey to a predator because they're more easily visualised, ah. and it may make them less attracted to their oh, mates. Oh, now I feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no. I feel terrible. I, I'm glad I stopped. No, what I did, I lost a lot of my eyesight and I couldn't see the colour, so I stopped doing it. But <laughs> I, it's getting better again. I've been had a couple, oh, quite a few operations and the next one I reckon I might get a good of my sight. I thought, why am I start doing it? So I'm glad I asked you. Wait yeah, so en- enjoy them being there. Just don't don't um, feed them. And Ron yeah. meant well, so, you know, you now know and, yeah, don't feel too bad. Uh, we're going to go to Cherie now. Uh, Cherie, you're in Duns Creek and uh, your dog always smells a little stinky and wet. Well, I've noticed it with friends' dogs as well. Um, when he, when uh, he has baths, um, but when he gets wet, he smells like a wet dog. Why, does he, why do they continually smell like a wet dog? Why doesn't he smell like wet fur or... Okay, so, so, so all dogs have a natural bacterial flora, um, yep. and that contains both bacteria and what we call yeast or malassezia. And so yep. our natural skin has a barrier of bacteria. So when you're, when you're smelling that wet dog, you're actually smelling the wet skin. The shampoo oh, is only staying on the wet hair. So I think that's the difference you're getting is that the, ah. the, the hair smells of the shampoo, but the dog itself is the wet skin, which is our natural flora, which is why the, the smell is there. Now, you, you can change the, 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 the um, smell of a dog's skin by using products that contain both an antibacterial and an antifungal element. So if your dog has a particularly yeasty smell, which may mean there's an overgrowth of fungi called malassezia on the skin, there are shampoos that will help to bring those levels down and they will make your dog less smelly in that regard. Yeah, well, he doesn't... It's not like a, oh, my God, get away from me smell. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of you go... Oh, you smell like wet dog. Yeah, and so all all wet dogs will will smell like wet dogs. Yeah, Um, is it just me tripping balls thinking... (laughs) Or is it, do all wet dogs, do all wet dogs smell sort of the same in the same wet dog smell? No, no. So there are different smells based on how much bacteria or fungi are on that dog's skin. Okay. Thank you for your call, Cherie. We're going to go to Pam now in Western. Oh, Pam, you've got a puppy. I have. I've got a little um, four and a half month old noodle. I call them. Oh, cute. Um, 
and, and he's absolutely beautiful. He's the most furious thing you've ever seen. But the trouble is, he keeps, he, he, he keeps jumping on you all the time, like after all the time. You're in the kitchen because he's got him inside. So he jumps on you continually on your legs, continually, continually. And then when you go down the pavilion, You're a bit muffled, can, Pam. Can, oh, sorry. Try again. Okay. Hey, can you hear me now? Yep. Oh, it's my office. Sorry. Um, yeah, so he's, he's only four and a half months old. So when you... Um, he continually jumps on your legs. So he's, he's jumping, jumping, jumping all the time. So when you bend down to pat him... Then he will he will chew on you. you yeah, know, yeah. Not bite you, but chew chew at you. Yeah. So there's a couple of things happening. So what, whenever you bend down to pat him when he jumps up, you've said that jumping up was the best thing to do. So if you want to stop the jumping up, you don't reward it. So first thing you would do is, is if jumping up on the, on your legs is turn your back to the dog. So what you've said physically is that behaviour isn't what I want to have happen. So use your body to let the dog know that behaviour is not warranted. Um, with regards to the, the, the chewing of the hands and fingers, some of this at this age will be teething. So we've got an age where we're losing our, our, our um, deciduous teeth and the adult teeth are coming through. So um, each time the chewing is happening, replace your hand with something that you'd like the dog to chew. So it, 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 there'll be obviously some chew toys you have around. Replace yeah. your hand with the chew toy. So you've actually said the chewing is not the issue. It just needn't be me you're chewing on. Okay. Um, but I think in this circumstance, you need to let your dog know what you want to have happen. So behaviours you want to keep, you foster by encouraging that behaviour. Behaviours you don't want, you ignore or block. Okay. All right. All right. I'll then. give that a try. Good well done. on you. Thank you for your call. We have been talking pet chat. We're almost out of time again. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It goes way too quickly. It does go quick. Cheryl, there is a dog show happening this there, weekend. There is. So if anybody's interested in going out to have a look at the Bulldog Club, they've got a specialty show on. So it's the Northern British Bulldog Club and it's going to be held at Hillsborough Showground this um, Sunday at 10am. I believe there's a gourmet sausage sizzle as well. Oh. There is. Sounds very nice. <laughs> Added incentive. It is. And Paul, we were discussing this last week that um, it's really important if you're thinking about getting a breed of dog, these dog shows can be wonderful oh, to go and really sort of suss out what yeah, the breed's yeah. like. Because often what you see on the TV isn't what, isn't what you experience in real life. So actually meeting these dogs and, and, and finding out from the owners, the breeders, um, their particular quirks or their particular traits, it's a really good resource to use before you go out and buy your puppy. Mm, okay. Look, that's just about it for Pet Chat. Thank you for joining us. Of course, we will be back at same time next week from midday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.